Football is officially back, and we've got you covered right here on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm Shiel Kapadia, and every Tuesday and Friday, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you Extra Point Taken. Nora Princiati here to tell you that Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Our Monday show will recap everything from Sunday's games. Thursday's show will encompass any news during the week with an eye towards the next slate of games. Subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Ringer NFL. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome in. It is a Tuesday in a Wednesday edition of New York, New York, a bonus pod with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. As the NFL trade deadline has come and gone, you had one move of significance from the New York Giants. You really had a whole lot of nothing from the New York Jets. And I can't say I'm stunned from a Jet perspective. Let me start with the Giants. Let's give credit where credit is due. They were not re-signing Leonard Williams. They are not contending for anything this year. To go and get a two and a five for Leonard Williams is excellent work from Joe Shane. Excellent, excellent, excellent work from Joe Shane. That's exactly the sort of trade you should make when you're a team that's two and six going nowhere fast. They still have Dexter Lawrence. They still have Kayvon Thibodeau. I understand it's now going to give a younger player an opportunity to go and play. That's fine. You you aren't paying Leonard Williams. Let him go to Seattle. Let him go play on a playoff team. Fine. The second-round pick, to me, becomes valuable as far as team building for next year, which is better than what you were going to get from a comp pick standpoint. And it also could be, we don't know if it will be, but it could be, additional ammo that you might want to have in trying to go and trade up in the draft or, dare I say, trade up next year, depending on where this season ends up, for maybe the Giants planting their seed and making their move to go and draft another quarterback. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen. 
what I am telling you is on the table with where the Giants are going to be selecting and with the year Daniel Jones has had. Now, that brings me to Daniel Jones. He's playing. Now, somebody's got to explain this to me. I am not a doctor. I am not well-versed in how teams handle players and whatnot and, you know, the protocol and everything that comes with it. But to hear Brian Dable and the New York Giants talk about Jones getting examined before Sunday's game, that's weird. Is it not? He couldn't have been examined on Friday or Saturday. And I don't think the Giants wanted to get him out there against the Jets to begin with. And, and nor am I suggesting that he should have started the game over Tyrod Taylor. Because if you heard me all week, I was pretty adamant that he shouldn't start the game. But could he in that quote-unquote emergency situation, dare I say, could have been available? Maybe. But what's done is done. He's starting Sunday more than likely against the Vegas Raiders. And what's interesting to me about how this kind of shakes out for Jones Sunday and for Jones over the rest of this year, he, in many ways, has the chance to play the Giants out of that top portion of the NFL draft. Giants are now one of those two-win teams. We know the Bears stink, although I don't know why, for the life of me, they traded for Montez Sweat. Don't tell me, oh, they can pay him, they have his rights. They suck. There's no point in doing that when your team stinks this year like they do. I'd rather have draft capital. This is not like Miami getting Bradley Chubb last year where they're like, all right, we're good. We're trying to make the playoffs. We're trying to make a run. The Bears, on the other hand, they stink. And they're trading a second-round pick for Montez Sweat. Bizarre to say the least. But Jones now, if he plays well in his Vegas game, if he plays well down the stretch, if the Giants get themselves out of that top three, top four conversation, they probably are in a position where next year he's going to be the quarterback. He's making a good amount of money, as we know. He's going to be on the roster next year. I think no matter what happens from a Giants standpoint, but if he doesn't play well, or he gets hurt again, and the Giants are sitting there with a top three pick, we're going to be spending all February when I get back from my honeymoon, all March in April, talking about the Giants going and getting their next franchise quarterback. That's where we'll be. So, you're playing a team that is abominable on Sunday. And we'll get to that when we do our Football Friday show. The Raiders thing. I watched that game Monday night. They should have lost by 30-plus points to Detroit. Detroit had a pick six. Detroit had a fumble on the one of the two-yard line. They still won. They still covered. That's how bad Vegas is. Garoppolo, you take him out of Kyle Shanahan's offense, and he's awful. So that's a winnable game for the Giants. Are there a ton of winnable games between now and the end of the year? Not necessarily. But it is audition time for Daniel Jones for next year. If you don't want to be in a position where that rookie quarterback in the first round is coming into town, might behoove you to play well and start winning some games. So Leonard Williams gone. As far as everybody else, they're staying from a Giants standpoint. You can make the argument. They could have been more aggressive in trading Barkley. They could have been more aggressive in trading Adoree Jackson. Barkley and Jackson, I know, are in different stratospheres as players. We get that. I don't think ownership was signing off on a Saquon Barkley trade. They weren't. 
whether it's the right course of action or the wrong course of action. And it's going to look like the wrong course of action if he's not on the team next year. If he's on the team next year, at least you're telling me, oh, Saquon's going to be back and he's going to be franchise tagged again. If he's not on the team, then anybody who's sitting there saying you should have traded him is a thousand percent right. Thousand percent right. So, Giant game has intrigue Sunday because of the fact that Jones is back. If they were starting DeVito or Man on the Street or Matt Barkley, it would be one of the most unwatchable games of the week. It's still going to be a bad watch. And thankfully, on my second screen, I'll have Cowboys and Eagles on, which, by the way, will be far more compelling and far more enjoyable. So, Leonard Williams gone. Good trade from that standpoint. Everybody else stays for the Giants. Jets, look. In a perfect world, they could have gone and gotten themselves another wide receiver. Because to me, that is a need that is kind of materialized here. And I know some knucklehead, I saw this on my Twitter earlier today, is basically like, hey, you traded McCall Hardman. What does that mean? Now all of a sudden you want to go and get yourself a wide receiver? McCall Hardman is not a legitimate number two receiver, okay? And the reality is, neither is Alan Lazard, neither is Xavier Gibson at this stage. Randall Cobb is clearly not that guy. They need another really good receiver to put alongside Garrett Wilson. And maybe those Devontae Adams trade rumors pick up in the offseason when things are a dumpster fire in Oakland like they will be, and they're probably going to fire their coach, and they're probably going to have a new regime in there. That's, that's almost a guarantee. That's how bad it is for Vegas. And you saw Adams basically slam his helmet going nuts. But for those of you who want to get on the Jets, as far as not adding, what were they supposed to do? What receiver got traded today? Did, did anybody see a receiver that got traded today? Who was the impact player? What Ezra Cleveland was basically the only offensive lineman that was moved. That's it. Where were they going to go on? They signed Saffold off the practice squad. He was with the Bills as of last year. That's really the best you can do in their st- from their standpoint. They're over 500. They're winning games with defense. They're winning games with lousy quarterback play. It won't continue to be the case if the offense continues to be this bad. So that's something that the Jets have got to figure out. We're going to try to figure it out with C.J. Uzama, who's going to join us in a couple of minutes. All right, we got a loaded football portion of the podcast. Two guests for you today. We're going to have C.J. in his usual spot. Ross Tucker, my old buddy, who I used to do betting shows with all the time, back in the old days at FAN. He's had a nice little career for himself. He's doing the CBS games. He's doing the Westwood One games. He's got his own podcast. He's all over the place. He's one of the few guys that actually can keep up with me as far as the amount he is working. So we're going to have Ross Tucker and CJ Uzama, two terrific, terrific people. So you're going to have a lot of fun from a football standpoint. Now, I wanted to bring this up, Nick related. They beat the Cavs. The Cavs are missing Garland. The Cavs are missing Jared Allen. So they clearly weren't at full strength. The Knicks are on the Cavs. They just do. Brunson gets them in their offense. The team feels just very comfortable playing against them. Quickly had a big night. Hartenstein had a big night. Cavs were never in the game in the third quarter in the fourth quarter. It's a good win for the Knicks. So we're now two and two on a year. The more interesting conversation from a Knicks standpoint, to me at least, centers around what I heard at halftime. And I don't know if you guys were watching the game on TNT. You know, I didn't even know the game was on MSG tonight. Because I assume, though, national TV game, TNT, it's got to be a TNT game. I guess they had dual broadcasts. I guess they can do that on Tuesday night. I, I didn't know. Anyway, I had the game on with the World Series. 
And I see Barkley talking about the Knicks. And it was interesting. I want to give you the exact comment because he basically goes into a soliloquy talking about the idea that the Knicks, as currently constructed, are not contenders, which is obvious. I think we'd all agree with that. But his ask is a little more extreme. Here's the quote. I think the Knicks need to do something. You see how this movie's going to end. We play hard, we're solid, but they're not contenders. The team here is not going to win anything. You can't be mediocre and stick with that. And basically, Barkley made the case that the Knicks should be all in on a move for Carl Anthony Towns. I agree and I disagree with Charles. I agree. See, I think the Knicks are better than mediocre. But I also think the Knicks is currently constructed have no prayer of winning a championship. I, I, I think you'd have to be living under a rock, quite frankly, to dream and think otherwise. We have been talking about that next move that needs to be made for a while now. I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is that next move. I think he is charming soft. I do not think he'd handle the New York media well. I, I think he's overrated as a player. His contract is an arbitrage. I'm not in on Carl Anthony Towns. The only way I'd be in on Carl Anthony Towns is if you tell me the Philadelphia 76ers want him and all of a sudden you work out some sort of three-team trade between the Knicks, the Sixers, and the T-Wolves where you're making a move with Minnesota, Joel Embiid comes to the Knicks, and Carl Anthony Towns going to Philly. Like, if that were the case, sure. I don't know if that's the case. But for the time being... The Knicks, to me, have got to kind of keep doing their thing. And from the window of thinking about a championship, it's frustrating. But it's practical. And I think that's how this front office is handling it, which is fine. They've made good moves. They've accumulated assets. They have regained credibility within the NBA, which is important. But that next move is going to decide and determine everything to how they are viewed, perceived, they get it right, they get it wrong, on and on we go. So we'll be waiting for that next move and what that domino is going to be. And with James Horton on his way to the Los Angeles Clippers, what does that mean for the future of the Philadelphia 76ers? There are a lot of variables. There are a lot of moving parts in play. Finally, before we hit C.J. Uzama and Russ Tucker, World Series on the verge of being over. Texas Rangers, wagon. Wagon. Two crooked numbers in the middle innings. Pounding the Arizona Diamondbacks, going with a bullpen game. They never work. They never work. Because you're asking so many relievers and so many guys to be on point, to be on their game, it's asking a lot. And with a lineup like Texas, even without Garcia, they pound you. And another splash of cold water right in the face of a Yankee fan. I guess Brian Cashman and the Yankees didn't need Corey Seager. Uh, no reason to make a call. No reason to make an offer. He's only like the, the, the best postseason hitter going in the playoffs. And he's on the verge of winning his second World Series MVP. He does nothing but rake. He does nothing but win. But no, the, the, the Yankees didn't need to make that call. And I had so many knuckleheads on my Twitter today. And this annoyed me. I was scrolling through. Oh, you want the Yankees, son. Everybody, uh, but, but. No, I don't. I want the Yankees, son, good players. They print money. They can afford it. 
And I even had one saying, oh, well, you like Volpe. I do like Volpe. Volpe could have played second base or third base. Corey Seager could have moved eventually. Maybe Corey Seager would have moved sooner. I don't even know. The point being is the Yankees could have acted like the Yankees, and they didn't. They went and they gave Josh Donaldson $50 million over two years, and he basically stole money. And this is why people, they, they look at you and they say, JJ, why are you so down and why are you so like aggravated with the Yankees? Look at the last four or five years. That's why I'm aggravated. That's why I'm pissed off. And I have a reason. And you have every reason to be. But Texas, one win away from a World Series. And with nasty Nate Evaldi on the mound, I think when we are doing our Football Friday show, we are not going to have any more baseball to worry about. And we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers winning their first World Series in the history of the franchise. They spent money and they hired a Hall of Fame manager. Yeah, they developed some nice young players, but spend big money, Hall of Fame manager, I think it's fair to say it's worked out pretty well. And that's with DeGrom and Scherzer giving them nothing. Scherzer goes... So, I bet Arizona game three. I'm not going to lie. When Scherzer went down with the injury, I was sick. I wanted him in the game because I think Arizona would hit him. They went to the bullpen. They couldn't hit him. John Gray comes in and he's throwing BBs. BBs. Can you imagine trading for Scherzer, signing Grom, getting close to nothing out of those two pitchers, and still finding a way to win a World Series? That's impressive. Super, super impressive. So, premature congratulations to the Texas Rangers. I won't mention it. That's probably not right. And I have money on it, so I really don't want to see it go down the toilet. Trust me on that. All right. Well, CJ Uzama in a Ross Tucker. Set the stage. Jets after their big win, survival win, ugly win against the Giants. Ross Tucker on all the deadline stuff. Uh, bonus show. So we got you covered. CJ in the Ross right after this. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. So the Jets get to four and three. They take down the New York Giants in overtime. We welcome back to the show. Our buddy, CJ Uzama. CJ, it's good to see you. It was ugly. There's no getting around that, dude. I don't think that game is going to go down as one of the most pristine Jet performances we've ever seen. But a win is a win, right? Yeah, oh, no, for sure. Um, you know, we, we were talking about it. And, you know, at the end of the, at the, end of the year, right, no one's going to be thinking, oh, wow, do you remember that ugly win that they had? When they, when they beat the Giants and it was just a rainy, dreary, just nasty, ugly game. No, they're not going to say that. They're going to look at our record and be like, oh, well, the Jets are this and this. Um, so yeah, we, we prefer a win over anything else. Obviously, we're not happy with the performance. Um, you know, we feel like we, we, we didn't play well, right? But at the end of the day, right? Like a win's a win. Like you said, you know, people were talking, you know, patting us on the back after we almost beat the Chiefs, but we lost. So like in my head, like who cares if we played really well and lost? If we don't play up to our standard and we win, win's a win, like you said. So, Okay. This is what I want to know. So I'm watching the game. You know me, CJ. I got all my games going. You guys <laughs> are center stage. The sound is rocking. And Zach Wilson gets sacked by Kayvon Thibodeau on fourth down. And 
I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm like, yeah, the Giants probably have here a 97, 98, 98.5 chance to go and win the game. So if I'm thinking that, I'm sure you guys are on the sideline saying, damn, we really let this one slip away. We missed an opportunity. Kind of talk me through what the player perspective is there. After Zach gets sacked and you guys are going to the bench and the Giants have the chance to go and run out the clock, going from that emotion to Graham Gano missing the field goal and all of a sudden you're running back on the field. It's like, oh, we got a chance at this thing. Like, what is that, what is that vibe like on the bench? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, right when it right when it happens and, you know, the, they run the first play, the the Giants run the first play, it's, it's immediately a calculation, right? So, like, we just start thinking about how much time we're going to have left. Um, in my head, I'm thinking, all right, nice, we're about to have a, a kickoff return. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to squib it to us and try to run the clock off? Or are they going to let us try to return it? Are they just going to kick a touchback and let us, you know, start from the 25 and, and work our way in? Or, you know, what's what's the deal going to be? So that's kind of where my mind was. It wasn't, in my head, we were going to hold him to a field goal, right? We weren't going to let him score. So after that first play, I'm like, all right, nice. We're going to hold him to a field goal. We're going to have to score a touchdown. Um, and that's going to be a little more challenging, obviously. But, I, you know, I, at the end of the day, we're going to get the ball back and we're going to have some time on the clock. So, um, yeah, that's it went from that to, oh, we need a field goal to, to, to tie this, to send this to overtime. And, like, I'm just, like, revitalized immediately more. I'm like, oh, nice. All right, we're going to have some time. It's going to be tough, whatever. Oh, we need a field goal? Oh, we can do this. We work this. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I mean, definitely still a roller coaster. But, you know, in my, in my mind, I'm, it was like, okay, what plays are we about to run? Because we're going to have to score a touchdown to, oh, we need to get in field goal red range. We got Greg the leg. We're good. And special teams were a huge difference in this game. Greg DeLeg and Morstead, who was the punter on my team last year, he's fantastic, CJ. I mean, I felt like they were doing such a fantastic job of keeping you guys in the game. And I had a major bone to pick with Brian Dable. Listen, I'm one of these analytics guys. You know what's weird, CJ? I hate the analytics in baseball, and they drive me nuts. But in football, I love it. Fourth down and one, I'm going for it. I, I hate when I see teams kick a bunch of field goals. I, I hate when teams on fourth and short are punting the ball. Now, I don't expect you to say it. I'm going to say it. I killed Brian Dable. You should have went for it in that spot. I'm getting a yard. I'm giving the ball to Saquon Barkley. But then you guys get it. You mentioned the change in philosophy going from, okay, we need a touchdown to, okay, we need a field goal. That final possession and regulation is like the clock is winding down. Were you, were you nervous at any point that you guys weren't going to be able to spike it to get Greg the leg out there? No, I think, you know, after, after the penalty, um, I think that was huge, right? Because obviously the, the clock stopped and we had way more time. And then <clears throat> that gave Z the ability to extend the play a little bit to be able to find Allen so that we could spike it. And, and you know, to be honest, you know, we, we've had a couple of, you know, iffy, um, late in the, in the half, late in the game, uh, operation periods, right? And, and we've been working those a lot. We've been talking to, you know, we got Coach Smash. He's our, um, he's our guy, man. We, we go to him with anything, uh, in terms of like situational. He's our situational guy. So, you know, he, he comes to us and talks to us, tells us, you know, how certain things are supposed to, supposed to go, right? In, in those later stages and, you know, the clock procedure, um, which is for the most, I mean, it, it was beautiful. Allen catches the ball, hands it to the center, which is exactly what we tell him to do because the center's, as he's running, he's looking to see where the ref's going to spot it so he can put it down because all the other ref has to do is touch it to make it in play. 
And it was, I mean, it was beautifully executed. And I'm just like, oh, oh, we're good. Oh, yeah. This is, this is, we got plenty of time right now. We worked this. Like, are you kidding me? We had 17 seconds and we can throw it, we can do whatever we want to right now. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was beautifully done, beautifully executed. And, and, you know, a tribute to kind of, you know, the coaches and, and us kind of just practicing that on a, on a weekly basis. That's a really good point. The Denver game is the perfect example in the first half and not being able to get the field goal unit on the field and not being able to weigh, you know, come away with points. That learning experience, CJ, Jet game, giant game, game on the line, needs to be worked to perfection. I'm sure the coaching staff in your offense is like, all right, this is why I've been working on this shit for the last couple of weeks. Oh, 100%. And the, 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 best, the best part about this to me is the fact that we had a center who had not had one snap with Zach, and I don't think ever, leading up to this game because he was our – he. I mean, we had Wes, who, who was our backup, who ended up going down, and then X was in there like, oh, my – he asked Zach before, like, "Hey, what's the what's the uh, what's the snap count on this?" Like right before the play, and I'm like, "I mean, like he hasn't worked it, right?" So, I mean, shout out to shout out to him and, and shout out to the offensive line and everybody getting getting set. But oh yeah, our coaches were ecstatic about that. They're like, "Oh yeah, this is this is what we work for, boys." This is gonna sound crazy. Will you surprise the Giants because of the conditions, because of the way the game was being played? And they're down to a third-string quarterback, CJ. You mentioned your injuries at center. They didn't have Daniel Jones. They didn't have Tyrod Taylor. And normally now in football, you're like, hey, in overtime, you get the ball because if you score a touchdown, you go and win the game. I actually thought, CJ, that was the sort of game where I'd say, you know what? The defense is the best chance I have of winning. I actually thought it ended up being a blessing for you guys that you didn't end up winning the coin toss. Were you thinking that maybe the Giants would defer there? No, I honestly, I, I was like, oh man, I don't, I didn't know what, uh, what Timmy had called here, and I, and I was like, did he call tails or heads? Tails or heads? And then saw that they, they chose to receive, and I was like, oh man, he called heads, and I, he did call tails. So I was like, oh, I guess tails fails sometimes. Um, but in my head, right when they said we like we choose to receive, I didn't think about their perspective at all. Again, I, I was like, we're gonna win this game. Our defense is gonna stop them because they've been holding them the for the most part the entire game. We're going to get the ball in better field position and we're going to be able to score a touchdown, a walk-off touchdown, or we're going to be able to kick a field goal to win the game. So, yeah, I mean, I guess until you said that right now, I didn't think about it from their perspective of, of deferring it. But, um, yeah, that one worked out in our favor for sure. All right, CJ, let's get to the ugly in this game. And I'm sure you've heard about it. And I'm sure your coaching staff, I, I would hope, is going to be drilling it in you guys all week. The penalties were killers. Now, you can make the argument that Johnson won. I kind of thought it was Fugazi. I, I kind of thought he got screwed on that because the quarterback was a runner and that ended up extending a drive and the Giants ended up scoring on that particular play. But a lot of pre-snap penalties, a lot of penalties that extended drives. Uh, I'm sure watching the game film, I'm sure as you guys go into the Charger week, that's something Coach Sala, Coach Hack, and all the guys going to be all of you guys for. I have to assume so, right? Yeah, we talked about it. We, we had already talked about it. Um as an offensive unit, right? And Salah had brought it up briefly and, you know, knew that we were going to talk about it as, as you know, as units. But, um, yeah, you know, it's something that, again, when, when you look at the percentages, right, like analytics and football, the the our third down percentage, one, we haven't been efficient just on ourselves with, with small mishaps here or there, assignments or whatever the, you know, whatever the case is. But we're also putting ourselves in unfavorable positions when it's, 
you know, you're starting selling a drive first and 15, or you get a first down and all of a sudden you got a first and 15 because of this or that, or, you know, it's just a mishap, whatever the case is. So yeah, it's something we've addressed for sure. It's something that, you know, again, it's, it's, it's paying attention to the details and paying attention in the huddle and not leaving the huddle. I'm speaking offensively, obviously. Um, but like making sure that you get the call, the whole call before we break. Cause sometimes, you know, even myself, sometimes I hear a play and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm good. And I'm like, ah, oh, nice, whatever. And I, I have the luxury of being able to look at the ball or being able to like ask somebody sometimes, like, Hey, what is this? Um, but if you're locked in in the moment and you don't have time or, or something else is going on or you're having to make an ID or, you know, you're, you're behind the eight ball already. Right. So that could lead to a holding. It could lead to just a false start. It could lead to just playing outside of yourself. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, just take a breath and, and focus on those details and, and focus in, in the huddle so that you're not behind the eight. So you have a lot of experience playing on different teams, playing in different offensive systems, just being around the league a bunch. Would you say coming out of a bye week, it's more likely to have that sort of game where penalties are more of a factor? Maybe guys aren't as sharp or, you know, maybe there's just like a sluggish factor of just getting back in the swing of things. Or is that a one off from what you saw in the giant game? Have you noticed that a bunch uh, coming out of bye weeks in the past? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's. I mean, yeah, I think it's 50-50, really. So, like, I guess it's not really, you know, I think, you know, there's some some instances where, yeah, it's definitely the case, right? And and, and you see it and you're like, oh, man, like, you know, they're having that they're, they're having that bi-week sluggish game and whatever. And other times it's like, you know, they're, they're playing well. It's just small things here or there. And, and even some of the penalties that we were looking at, it's like the penalties weren't, like, a, some, of, some of them weren't egregious in terms of, man, like, this guy just held him or, or this guy just had a disgust, like a nasty face or whatever. It's some of the guys are playing hard and it's like, ah, man, like they kind of got you on that one a little bit, but like maybe half a second later or half a second earlier or whatever the case is, like they're not going to call that. Right. So some of, some of the ones we were looking at, it's like, mm, that's tough. It happens. We can't, we can't let it happen. It's not an excuse, but some of that is within the confines of the game. So yeah, I don't think this was one of those, to be honest. I think it was just, it, it was ugly. Um, and, and some of the things that were happening, you know, were uncharacteristic, but I don't think it was in this case. I don't think it was because of the play. All right. Ugly game, ugly conditions. I mean, it was a nasty day, CJ. It's rainy. It's windy. 24 hours earlier, it was like 80 degrees and like yeah, it was a perfect day in New York. <laughs> and it's like, nah, Sunday Jets Giants, we're going to make it as ugly as possible. The vibe, the, the feeling of, of being a part of your first ever Jet Giant regular season game. Did it live up to the billing? Yeah, look, that weather pissed me off to no end because, like you said, Saturday was the most beautiful day. It was probably the best day of the month to, to me. I mean, I, I missed the buy and I wasn't here, but I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. And then all of a sudden, next day is like low 50s. Said it was going to stop raining. Didn't stop raining the entire time. And I'm, I'm just sitting here like, I mean, of course. Like, is, does it get any more... New York Jets Giants in this like just dreary game probably not in my eyes so I mean the, the only thing that could probably make it a little bit better was if it was snowing and a little bit colder right so um no it was it was it was awesome it was interesting because you know I, I was talking to Morstead Morstead if you watch the the first field goal I mean the second one as well but the the first field goal to send it to overtime he's just staring at like kick goes through whatever and he's just staring and he's 
waiting and he doesn't say anything. And then he just starts screaming yes. And I'm like, what are you doing? What the hell is that? And he was like, well, you know, I, I hear like, oh, in the, in the stadium. And I was like, oh, wait, we're the away team. There are Giants fans here. I forgot. And I was like, yeah, bro. So it was that, that dynamic was interesting. Um, you know, because it was probably a, I don't know. I heard a lot of New York guys, even though it was a Giants home game, there were a lot of New York fans. So it was, it was split for sure, but, um, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I know the guys did as well. And, you know, even though it was a dreary game and, and the weather wasn't what we wanted, you know, especially with Saturday being as amazing as it was, um, it was still fun. It was, it was, it was fun to be a part of. So, CJ, one thing I talked about a bunch, you know, we do our live show after the game. We had a bunch of Jet Giant calls coming in. Giant fans were not particularly happy. The Jet fans were relieved. I think that's the best <laughs> way to look at it. I I think they were happy, relieved. They were able to troll all of it combined into one. But a couple of people brought this to my attention. You guys going up tempo has led to success. We, we saw it, obviously, in this Giant game. We saw it in the Kansas City game a couple weeks ago. Is that just a byproduct of, hey, taking what the defense is giving you? Sometimes you're in that spot where you have to push the ball, you have to move the ball. Or or is that something that like a fan is reading too much into the idea of, oh, the Jets look more successful offensively when they're really pushing that tempo and pushing that pace? Is there something to that or no? Yeah, I mean, maybe, but you know, I think again, I think when we are going up tempo, it's it's later in the game or at the half, right? And and during those situations, a defense is going to play that particular instance different than earlier in the game or earlier in the quarter or whatever it is, right? So, you know, later in the game, second quarter, in the second quarter, you know, fourth quarter, within like five minutes, a defense is going to lock into a, a few different things and a few different calls, whereas like, oh, nice, like first quarter, even early second quarter, third quarter, their calls are going to be a little bit different if we go up tempo. So, yeah, I think, you know, there there is some validity to it. You know, I think at the end of the games, I think it's more of an attribute to, to you know, the playmakers making plays, Z putting the ball where it needs to go, um, and kind of just honing into certain calls that we know certain defenses are going to make because they go to their, their bread and butter. Okay. So maybe this is a JJ creation, CJ, but I, I like looking at the schedule. I like kind of plotting out what's coming up for the boys over the next few weeks. And I see Monday night, me and Stefan will be in the building. We're fired up. We'll see you in person. Hope, hopefully, um, I see you go and score a touchdown. That's the idea. I come. I expect you to score. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, Charger game Monday night. Then you have the Raiders on Sunday night. Yep. Then the following week, it's a national game, 425 against Buffalo. And then a game where I don't want you to do too much. Just saying, you're playing the Dolphins Black Friday. So a lot of national, primetime, big exposure games for you and the Jets. It, does that change things? I mean, I, I don't think it should. I mean, a game is a game. It's New York. Every game in the NFL matters. <laughs> But there are more eyeballs on. You get you get a little bit more attention. Social media is going to be buzzing more when you guys are playing in these kind of standalone situations. Does it does it change anything for you as a pro or no? Yeah, for me, no. Um, it it makes it more fun. I think in terms of oh, nice, we got this night game. Oh, nice, we got this Friday game. It's going to feel like I'm playing high school again, which I haven't. Done. I'm not going to age myself, but it's been forever since that's happened. Um, so things like that, for sure, it, it makes it more fun and more entertaining. 
Um, but in terms of just like, like, oh my gosh, like the magnitude of this is, is kind of crazy or whatever. Not really to me. Um, and, and I think, you know, Coach Sala kind of says that too. We, I forget what he said. Oh, it's during camp. During camp, he's like, yeah, we got some eyes on us, whatever. Like, you know, he always calls on a rookie and it's like, that means like we got to go out there and do this, right? And the person always says yes. And he's like, no, we do, we do what we do. We play our game. We play our style of football. We don't, we don't let outside noise affect how we play. And, um, I, I think we do a good job of that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely more fun. I think personally, just especially if it's a night game or, you know, that Friday night game, I, I have that one. You know, I have that one marked on the calendar just because Friday, it's going to be awesome. Friday, Friday football to me is is amazing. So, oh, I love it, and I love that it's an afternoon game. So, we, if it's cold, you at least maybe going to have a little sunlight, CJ, two or three in the afternoon, and not eight o'clock with those winds gusting. You know, yeah, exactly. So, and then you know, it's it's Thanksgiving. I have ha- my family here, so that that changes that aspect of it. But other than that, man, it's 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 ball, and and you know, we gotta we gotta treat it as such for the most part. All right, so you came off the bye week. I know you spent some time with the lady. I know you headed back home. Uh, bye week treated you well? It did. It did, yeah. I, I got a, I uh, flew with my dog. Um, bought the, How was that experience, by the way? Do you do that often or no? That was that was my first time flying with him um, with, with so many people around for sure. And he did well. He was great. Um, you know, he, he let some people, you know, pet him. But he kind of has some, like, if there's too many people, it's it's – you know, it's an overload form, so he's kind of just like, mm, don't touch me, don't, like, leave me alone. He's very friendly, and if, like, someone pets him, he'll let him pet for a second, and then he's just like, ah, leave me alone. I'm, I'm good. I, I gotta, like, sniff, sniff other people. So, uh, no, he was he was really good. It was really fun. Um, kind of chilled. Uh, my, my girl ended up, like, helping out at, at, at our Airbnb and doing a lot of work, and I was just, like, relaxing on the couch, like, hey, you need anything? No, you're fine. Oh, okay. All right. See you later. I'm just kind of snoozing. So uh, it was it was good. It was, it was very relaxing. Well-deserved. Now, I pulled off Ace Ventura, and my wife pulled off Snowflake. Uh, I'll send you the picture. It was top-notch. We had a, we had a little Halloween party Friday night. Uh, we paid yeah. for it on Saturday. Let's put it that way. We <laughs> paid for it, CJ, in more ways than one. The apartment, my uh, overall well-being, just, just throwing that out there. But I saw a couple of the guys were dressed up for Halloween going to Jets-Giants. You, Mr. Personality, you don't want to dress up? You said I'm opting out of this? No, no interest. Yeah, no, you know, I didn't want it to be last second and and just throw something together. So I was like, oh, man, let me just wear some orange, um, you know, kind of just have the have the Halloween vibe colors and, and, and let that be that. And if somebody dresses up super crazy, like the spotlight will be on them. And we had some guys dress up nice. You know, Quincy was the joker. Um, he had that face paint on. He had somebody come. And, that was impressive. I, I saw that. I saw some of those highlights when I was doing TV. I was like, "Wow, Quincy no, yeah, brought it, did, man!" Yeah, they they did their thing on on like for him, and um, you know, he had to he had to wash it off, and he was washing it off, and he had the eyeliner still on. And well, that's what I mean, dude. You're going to play a football game. You got all that face paint and shit on. That's hey, that's complicated. It came, out, it came out very like for the most part pretty easily. I think you know the eyeliner was. It took a couple like couple washes to get that out, but. Um, yeah, some of the guys, you know, they, they, they wanted to, they wanted to show their personality a little bit and show their interests. And I thought it was really, you know, I thought they, they executed it pretty, pretty decently. Um, could have, could have, could have been a little bit more. Right. But, um, no, I, th- I think they, they did a pretty decent job. 
Uh, are you going to have a bunch of trick-or-treaters coming your way, or do you just leave the candy out and say, leave me alone? No, nah, we're, 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 we're in a spot where there's probably not going to be any trick-or-treaters, just like the, the, the section of townhomes that we're in. There's, there's no kids, and uh, it's right next to like Trader Joe's, so it's... You're safe. Time. There you go. You're, you're, <laughs> sa- you're safe from the madness. See, we are too, but if I go a block over and, and I just walk over, I'm going to see kids left and right. And, uh, you know, the worst part is now I can't even get involved with the Halloween candy. What's it? So you have to have one piece of Halloween candy. What's your go-to? Ooh, now it's different. When I was a kid, it was a Three Musketeers. Mm, and interesting. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why. I hey, was, whatever works. I was whatever obsessed works. with Three Musketeers. Um, and now, oh, I mean, this is tough because I have a huge sweet tooth. So, so to pick one is tough, but um, I love a Hershey's cookies and cream. So oh, that, that's good. I had cookies and cream ice cream the other day. Uh, I haven't had one of those bars in forever. That's look, a nice choice. Look, they, they, and they make the little uh, little uh, dots or, or dips or whatever. The little small ones, they're they're phenomenal. Or you know the the Reese's the Reese's uh, pumpkins. So I have those in my fridge right now as we speak. That's so, like my post-TV snack, you know, when I need a lot of energy. My thing is, Reese, like Reese, a Reese's cup is great. By itself, standalone. Standard, great. yeah. But seasonal, the Easter ones are the best. The pumpkin ones, the trees, like the like seasonal Reese's just goes above and beyond. So, yeah, Reese's, Reese's pumpkins are probably the best. So basically what you're telling me is I got to make sure I either get some cookies and cream or, or some Reese's. Uh, Christmas trees sent to the jet tight end room. Uh, so that way you guys, when you're watching the film, have something to snack on. I uh, like that. That would be, that would be phenomenal. You can send that after we beat, beat the dolphins on that Friday night. Oh, no, no, no. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll save that. Well, CJ, listen, best of luck. Uh, I'll be rooting for you Monday. We'll be in the building. Look forward to seeing you. Uh, let's score a touchdown or two. Last time, big time, primetime game, you were in the end zone against the Chiefs. So uh, go make it a win and go make it a score uh, against the Chargers on Monday. All right, bud? For sure. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's our buddy CJ Uzama. We're coming right back. All right, we go from CJ Uzama to a buddy of mine. He was on the call Sunday for the Ravens and the Cardinals. And he's actually someone that might give me a run for my money as far as how much he works and how many jobs he has. He's Ross Tucker, CBS Sports. He's the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can check that out on social media, out Ross Tucker NFL. And if you have a quick question for Ross about myfrontpagestory.com, at some point, it's the best gift ever. Buddy, long time no speak. It's good to see you. It's good to hear from you. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, dude. We got we got to talk real quick. I mean, first of all, you do this, like, you're very professional, but you're holding a microphone. That's and then right. you got, like, your phone in your other hand. And you're wearing a dolphin sweatshirt while we're on the New York, New York podcast. Like, what's going on here? Well, listen, Ross, everybody knows my dirty little secret that I chose to be a Miami Dolphins fan. They're going to just have to deal with that and accept that. Um, And I'm at my parents' house, so I am not in the (laughs) confines of my studio. But as you know, in podcast land, you can take the show on the road and the sound quality is great. So, you know, I, I make love with the microphone that way. And then I have the read for you, and I listen. I know you. I know where you work, but I got to make sure I get it right. I don't have oh, all these yeah, note you're cards right. in you're front right. of me, you're bro. Right. You're right. I can appreciate that. Thank you. And yes, myfrontpagestory.com by far the best gift you could ever get a loved one. So if you don't know where you're going to get somebody for the holidays, check it out. Myfrontpagestory.com. It's amazing. Good stuff. Um, let's start here. 
trade deadline, biggest move that kind of, in your opinion, moves the needle from a contender standpoint? What would it be? Um, I think it's got to be the Niners getting Chase Young. Yeah, I mean, I mean the Bears got Montez swept, but the Bears aren't a contender. So for the Niners to get Chase Young, listen, the last couple games, John, that they, they, they did not look real good on defense. I mean, Kirk Cousins lit them up, and then Joe Burrow lit them up. I think they felt like they kind of had to do something. They got the momentum going the wrong way. They had lost three games in a row. And I do think that they were lacking at the edge rusher position opposite Nick Bosa a little bit, and people were able to key in on Bosa too much. Now, you know, Chase Young is going to get a lot of one-on-ones, man. A lot of one-on-ones. He's got to make the most of it. I think he's going to feast. I mean, you have him now on that defense. You know Bosa is going to take a ton of attention. I love it from a Niner perspective. Now, can they cover? Russ, I have no idea if they can cover, but if you're getting, getting after the quarterback and you got guys like that, it might take some of that pressure off that secondary. So I'm with Makes you. Makes a big, Chase, big yeah. difference. Look, I, I we saw this with Philadelphia last year, too. Like, you can never have enough of those guys. You, you really can't. To be able to rotate them in so that they're fresh in the second half in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Bosa wasn't as productive as he was last year. And I think that they're hoping this helps unlock him a little bit more. Like I said, Hargrave, the guy they got from the Eagles, he's been playing great. It's been who are the other guys that haven't been able to get it done. Giants, they go and get a second and a fifth for Leonard Williams. Uh, somebody they're not going to resign. I know Leonard Williams terrific against the run. I know Giant fans, maybe at the beginning of the year, had much different aspirations and thoughts, Ross, coming off a playoff win, having the season that they did a year ago. To get a second and a fifth for Leonard Williams, that's a great trade from Joe Shane as far as I'm concerned. So I want to make sure, I, like, was this the last year of his contract? Yes, correct. Wow, that's wild to me that they were able to get that much. I mean, that's, that's wild because you'd think if you're like Seattle, I mean, obviously they want him for the rest of the season, but they could just sign him after the season. You know, it's like, I don't really, like, I'll give you an example, right? The Bears gave up a second round pick for Montez Sweat. The Bears aren't going anywhere this year. No, they stink. So I guess the Bears look at it like, well, worst case scenario, we can franchise tag him. But I don't know. I mean, I don't think the I don't think the commanders are going to franchise tag him. So they could have kept their top 40 pick because they're going to be drafting one of the first 10 picks in the second round. They could have kept their top 40 pick and just given Montez Sweat, you know, a market value deal in the offseason. Instead, you know, they're going to have to pay him more probably because he's got all this leverage. I thought the Giants did well. Look, the Giants aren't going anywhere this year. I think they recognize that. And if you know you're not going to re-sign Leonard Williams, the best you'll get is a third-round comp pick. That's not till 2025. And by the way, if they sign a bunch of free agents this offseason, then you don't even get the comp pick. It cancels each other out. So to get the two and the five now I think is good. They have Dexter Lawrence. That's the guy that they paid for for the long haul there. I thought that was a really good trade for the Giants. Okay. I'm with you. They're two and six. They're going nowhere fast this year. Are you surprised they didn't put a guy like Barkley on the open market? Or is it with Barkley? You're thinking about next year, maybe tagging him, or maybe it's John Mara saying, look, we want to have people in the seats at MetLife Stadium in November and December, and we can't let our most marketable player, go and play for, I don't know, Buffalo or Baltimore or whatever the team might be. 
Uh, if you were the GM of the Giants, Ross, would you have explored offers on Saquon Barkley? I would have. However, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how much people would have given up for Saquon Barkley, right? Like, how much is a team going to give up for half a season of a running back? And so, it, I don't think it's a two. I don't think it's a three. So, when you start to get to, like, four, five, six, seven, then you do look at it and think, is that really worth it? I mean, is that really worth it for, like you said, ownership, guys in the stands? Band in the stands is part of it. And I also think that this year has been a pretty good example. John, they're much better when they have him. Like, all that stuff in the offseason about uh, Daniel Jones' team now and the offense goes through him, blah, blah, blah. They're clearly a much better team when they have Saquon Barkley in the lineup. And so I think that they're, I, I think they probably resign him after this year. I really do. I mean, I think, I think he wants to stay. I don't think anybody else is going to give him that much money. I think they find a way, one way or the other, to bring him back this year. Although maybe they could have done the old Roger Clemens, right? Trade him for the rest of this year, then sign him back in the offseason again. Hey, listen, it, I've seen stranger things. Uh, Aroldis Chapman with the Yankees, they traded him the Cubs, what was it, in 2016? He wins the World Series for the Cubs, comes back to the Yankees the following year, and they got a couple of prospects in return. The problem is the Yankees haven't made a good move maybe since. Uh, they went down that road a few years ago, outside of Garrett Cole, of course. But um, the other team in town, the Jets are interesting to me, Ross. They lose Aaron Rodgers week one. They have beaten the Eagles. Fluky, but they beat them. They beat Buffalo. Those are two really good wins. They played a great game against Kansas City, but they probably should have lost to the Giants. Offensively speaking, they leave a lot to be desired. They're 4-3 with Zach Wilson. We know he has limitations. They have a great defense. They can run the ball at times if they give the ball to Brees Hall, which they haven't done nearly enough. Are you glass half full, glass half empty about the Jets at four and three as far as their playoff chances go? Well, as far as their playoff chances, I, I would say I'm pessimistic still just because of the depth of the AFC, right? I mean, you look at it, you got four teams that are six and two, bro. Four teams. And then after that, the Bills are five and three. Steelers and Browns are right there, four and three. I think they're probably better teams than the Jets. I think they'll be in the mix, you know, to get that seventh seed, probably. Um, I think they'll still be in the mix. You know, it's funny, the Jets to me, and I like their signing, by the way, of Roger Saffold to get a vet in there. Maybe let's him move Tipman to center to replace McGovern, who's got that injury. They just put him on IR. So it gives them some options getting Saffold in the fold. The Jets, I said this this week on my show on the Ross Tucker football podcast, the Jets are like the new Steelers in the sense that they can look like crap almost all game and at the end of the game look like they're going to lose, but somehow in this muddied, yucky game, they win at the end. Like Robert Sala this year is like Mike Tom. The Steelers were 4-2 and two before that loss to the Jags, and John, they've been outgained in every game. How are you four and two and outgained in every game? That's kind of like the Jets. And you said ceiling on on uh Zach Wilson. And you're right. I mean, he's not like an elite guy. He's getting better, man. Like he, he you know, those throws he made against the Giants, he's legitimately getting better and giving them a chance to win these games. So I'll give him credit for that. But the simple throws, he continues to miss. That that's my thing, Ross, is 
Is that something that can be corrected? Or is that one so. of those things I, I really where you either have so. it or you don't? No, I, I think certain guys that miss layups, I mean, I think you can get better, but I think it's like marginally better, right? I, I don't think it's all of a sudden he's going to be, you know, Drew Brees on those throws. Uh, there aren't many guys. The, the the two guys that have improved the most I think I've ever seen are Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. You know, where those guys just made major, major leaps. That's rare, though. And both those guys, I think, did it between, what, their second and third years, where they just, they improved like 10% completion percentage. I'm not sure I see that for Zach Wilson. And it's really hard to call offensive football if your quarterbacks can't, can't make his layup. So I was thinking of you this weekend because I'm watching all the games and guys are going down, Ross, left and right. Left and right. At quarterback, they're going down. On the offensive line, they're going down. And I know injuries in the NFL are nothing new. But as far as line play is concerned, which I know is your baby, I know it's your bread and butter, it seems like it's so tough for us to find backup, competent offensive linemen. You've seen it with the Giants. You've seen it with other teams around the league where it's just like this struggle to find guys who can play the position. Is it getting harder, more challenging? Is it because the schemes are kind of changing what these linemen are taught in college? They're maybe not necessarily taught in the NFL. It it just seems like for some of these teams, they go to second string, third string linemen. Some teams can handle it. And then other teams, they look like they're just non-functional from that standpoint. Well, I I mean, I could talk a lot about this, but I know we only have a couple minutes left. So I'll just say this. Number one, College, it's way different, right? They're just running RPOs and they get rid of the ball so quick. And, you know, those guys get a bunch of reps in college, but they're kind of like different kind of reps, right? They're, they're, it's not, it's not quite the same as what they're asked to do in the pros a lot. That's number one. So there is part of the college standpoint. Number two, certain teams prioritize it more than others. I mean, the Eagles, they'll, they'll draft an offensive lineman second or third round every year. I mean, their kid that they drafted high in the third round this year, Steen, he doesn't even suit up for some of these games. He's like the ninth or tenth guy on the O-line. Like, the Eagles had a year or two where they just got totally, like, season was over because of the O-line. And Howie Roseman just said, I'm never doing that again. Never. Because if you have a guy playing at tackle or on O-line that can't play, it sinks the whole team because defense – you can make up for a bad player because other great players can make a play. Offense, you really need all 11 guys to do their job. Otherwise, you're screwed. I'll give you one more. I might write about this in my next column for the 33rd team. Here's the biggest difference, John. Backup D linemen play all the time. Backup O linemen don't play unless there's an injury. So think about that. Okay. That's a great point. The guys that get in there when there's an injury or two, they haven't been getting snapped. They haven't been playing. They haven't been playing with these guys on either side of them. You know, D lineman teams play too deep on the D line. So even if you're a backup D lineman, you're getting 25 snaps a game. So I noticed that a lot in the preseason, dude. When it's like second team O line against second team D line. Second-team O-line, a lot of those guys you never heard of because they don't play in regular season games. Second-team D-line, those guys all play like 20, 30 snaps a game. So they're used to playing regular season starters at a high level, whereas a lot of times the backups, 
I mean, people have backup that have never started a game before. Such a great point. Final one. We got a monster. A couple of monsters this week. Dolphins-Chiefs monster game. Cowboys-Eagles monster game. Bills-Bengals monster game. We're halfway through the year, give or take, Ross. How many teams do you think realistically can win a Super Bowl? Um, that's a tough one, man. Because I look at it, right, and I could throw a bunch of teams at you, right? Like, I, I think the Lions are good enough to do it. I really? think the it's, Seahawks I like are them. good enough to do it. Wow, okay. I okay. don't know if I think that they're gonna, because in the NFL, from a postseason standpoint, it kind of feels like you need to walk a little bit before you can run, you know? Teams don't usually come out of nowhere. So I'll tell you this much. I like Baltimore a lot. You I had like them last week. They're impressive. If they yeah, I like Jackson Jacksonville on the a lot. I'm saying right now, I'll go Bengals and above have a chance. So Bengals, Niners, Bills, Seahawks, Cowboys, Dolphins, Chiefs, Jaguars, Lions, Ravens, Eagles. Do I think it ends up being somebody other than Chiefs, Bengals, Niners, Eagles? No, I do not. No, I don't. I still think it ends up so being one think of those, those four, teams are a different but I will class say that other teams other. all have a chance. Interesting. And that was last year's Final Four, by the way. Yeah. San Francisco, yeah, honestly, dude, Philly, the number one seed. Cincy, KC. See, I, I think Jacksonville ends up as the one seed because the division stinks. Well, then That's give me the number one seed. I'll tell you why. It's the biggest disparity in sports right now. I don't like it, dude. How how can you be – you could be, have two teams that are 13 and 4. The one team gets the number one team because of a tiebreaker. They only have to win two games at home to go to the Super Bowl. The other team has to win three games, and including one week. on the road. I mean, that that that's too much. They, they, they gave the number one seed too much. I liked it better when at least the top two seeds got the bye. So I don't know what they do. Maybe they add one more playoff team. I don't know. But the one seed is like almost – too much of an advantage in my mind. Ross, you're killing it, man. We were watching Sunday Ravens Cardinals. You got Westwood One. You got college. You're doing Ohio State Rutgers. You're always on the move, bro. So continued success, man. Keep up the good work. We'll catch up soon, all right? My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. That's Ross Tucker. We'll come back, put a bow on it right after this. Good stuff there with Ross Tucker. Before we say goodbye, Jeff Money, set the stage for what we got on a uh, Wednesday or a Thursday. JJ, Jeff Money here on Handicap and Picks. It'll be for Thursday, November the 2nd. Um, it's for Thursday night football game. Now, I'll give an edge. I don't love the game. Won't be, Of course, it won't be part of the five picks. I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers minus the two and a half over the Tennessee Titans. So that's going to be my Thursday night NFL play. We're going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers minus the two and a half. Let's see if we have a family player or a heads up play on that game. And everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ. I'm out of here. Let's go. You know, this is a really tough football game, Jeff Money. Really, really tough football game. I don't like the fact that this line is moving against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It looks like Kenny Pickett is going to play. We know Pittsburgh has been atrocious offensively. But I can't put my money on Will Levis on the road against that defense. Even without Mika Fitzpatrick. Can't do it. Now, I haven't seen if Fitzpatrick's ruled out. I, I think he's going to miss some time. Seeing how he got hurt in the Jacksonville game last week, I think he's going to miss some time. 
I think you're on the right side of the game. I think it's a tough game to bet, though. Seeing that line go from four to two and a half scares the crap out of me. Vrabel is an underdog. Scares the crap out of me. You tell me Will Levis is going on the road in Pittsburgh and beating the Steelers. I'll take Pittsburgh, and I'll weigh the two and a half. We'll be back Thursday. Football Friday show. All the regulars. Plus, I'll ask Victor Cruz about Joe Beningo channeling his inner salsa. I'm going to have to show Victor that video. I don't know if you saw Beningo dancing after the Jet game. Beningo watching the game from the parking lot, by the way. So enough after that Kayvon Thibodeau sack. Good thing they had TVs out there. Or I'd be giving Joe the business to the high heavens. So, you know, got to be careful with that. Got to be careful with that. Game that close, game that magnitude, I'm staying at triple zero. You got away with it. Joe be in jail. Good job by Stefan. Want to thank Ross Tucker and CJ Uzama. We'll be back. Get you ready for week nine in the NFL. And I want this Chief game bad. You know, I saw a bunch of little kids today wearing their, like, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, Chiefs. I was screaming out the window, fins up! Fins up! Yeah, I was that guy in the neighborhood in Brooklyn. No shit. No shit. On that note, JJ out. Enjoy your Wednesday. Be good, everybody. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 100 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or... Visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 109 within Indiana. 100-522-4700. Or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 100gambler.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.